winning, uh, <laughs> well, I think it's only natural that anyone would think that to win is, uh, is important. That's the reason you're in this business. If you have any kind of pride or any kind of dedication or any kind of backbone or spunk to you, you should try to be the best uh, in your own profession, regardless of what it is. Anybody who has the idea that just to play or just to take part, and that's all that's necessary, I think he's in the wrong business. I think, I think he's in the wrong country, let me put it that way. I think one of the things that made America great is to try to be the best in everything that they do. And the best, again, is signified by winning. Let's go now. A little life out here. Let's have a little life out here. We look like we're half dead out here. Let's move a little bit. It's a lot of fun. Keep it fun. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the UK Packers podcast. As usual, I'm your host, that's the Diddy NFL on the Twitter box. And of course, follow the group at UK Packers. And this is going to be a fun one. Look, the off season is a time to explore. Kind of like college in the movies. Um, and it's time to delve into stuff. Now, I'm not going to be too contrived about it and go on like, oh, you know, this is something this is very important to know. Uh, but look, Vince Lombardi for me has always been a fascination and... I just, I'm fascinated by, first off, what he was able to achieve. Uh, I like to contextualize by looking at the era that he was playing in. And I like to just, you know, anything. I, I Like for this podcast, I've been on a binge now for I don't know how long of all things Vince Lombardi to get audio of Vince to just delve into every facet of his life. Um, and there's a reason why I'm doing it, uh, I guess. But one of those reasons is, is I've always wanted to do it. The second one is, is look, there's no news about Aaron Rodgers there's none and they keep trying to put out this urgency stuff and this is all I'll say about the Aaron Rodgers stuff um, because it's just complete lip service and nonsense nothing changed and in fact I had a tweet written from the group account to say you know there's been zero uh, news development since he left Green Bay and had his meetings with the Packers not that we're privy to any of that anyway and I put it out and then all of a sudden the Pat McAfee show uh, was on and they put theirs out and then he kind of defended himself it's tiresome Really tiresome. He's not going to make a decision now. We're not going to know and it's all conjecture. And it's just, you know, the Photoshop jockeys are out now and they're putting him in every uniform. The Jets is the latest one. And then Nathaniel Hackett's become the offensive coordinator for the Jets. And so everyone's banging on about that. Um, so I just think we should uh, give it a rest. And I know everyone's kind of sick of it. And there's an awful lot of, like, you know, I look at the numbers behind the podcast and how well it's doing. And, you know, numbers via, by episode and by you know time and you can see in the off season it obviously goes down some people just sort of pack up their fandom put it away and wait till the new season swing around uh, and some people are still all over it and I know an awful lot of the sort of I don't know the general consensus out there is everyone's sick of it so that's all I say in the Aaron Rodgers thing now listen I've tried to do something really really ambitious and it's coming up to the end of January now uh, and what I'm doing is, is um, we're giving away uh, an all-expenses-paid trip to Lambeau Field. It isn't a gimmick. It's not clickbait. And I won't try to uh, go on too much about it. In fact, I'm working on pre-recorded stuff so that you don't have to listen to me rambling on about it. But yeah, look, it's worth a couple of grand. Uh, it's not sponsored. I'm not getting a free trip. I'm paying for the trip. Um, and how we're doing it is is, is patreon.com forward slash UK Packers. So up to now, I've had the gold tier and the t-shirt tier. But now there's a Lambo tier. It costs a fiver. A five or a month and you could be walking away with an all-expenses-paid trip to Lambo. And look, it's not some random trip. It's not some sort of, uh, oh, you know, in terms and conditions. It's on our group tour. And our group tour has been sold out now for the last couple of years. In fact, it's sold out twice 
last year because we sold all the uh, seats and tickets and all that kind of jazz and then uh, we went and sort of increased the capacity on the flight and the bus and we got a bigger bus and all that so now we're getting a big hefty 50 60 seater bus uh, now more in fact 70 I think is to, to fit us all on um, so it's the real deal and you'll be coming over on that trip you'll be with me and all of the rest of the gang and how it's going to work is you join patreon.com forward slash UK Packers you can get onto the Lambo tier and for a five or a month end you're in the shot the more months you're in it from now till the draw uh, you know one month constitutes one entry so if you're in it for three or four months you've got three or four injuries uh, you, if, and I've had this conversation as well if you want to jump on the gold tier which is where you can win signed merchandise including full sized helmets and coming up in this I have um, a full sized Donald Driver helmet um, and I've got you know Jordy Nelson and Donald Driver signed stuff it's just it, it, look at the last uh, giveaway and you'll see it so if you want to get onto that gold tier you're automatically entered into the Lambo draw as well um, so look, I'd highly recommend it, obviously. Um, I'm in the hole now for uh, a couple of grand, <laughs> so uh, I'm trying to fund it, and that's what the Patreon's all about, so it's not about me getting money, and I know people like to go, oh, for the price of buy me a coffee, you're not buying me anything. Uh, you're putting money towards this trip. No one else out there is doing it, nobody else. Nobody else has given a couple of grand away um, on a trip, and with the Patreon support, that's how we're going to do it. And look, I think that's good value. But look, let's get on to the big man himself. As I said, Vince has always kind of fascinated me because, you know, you look at a guy like him and what I like to think about is, is what made that man? How was he the way he was? What was he actually like? Um, you know, because there's stories about his wife, uh, Marie, had become an alcoholic because of his devotion to the Packers. In fact, he arguably drove himself into an early grave. The man died before his parents. Uh, he was only 57 when he when he passed away from an aggressive colon cancer, um, which allegedly was brought on or worsened at least by stress. And of course, he didn't want to go to the doctor um, too, until it was too late, uh, which is, you know, an awful shame. So, you know, we didn't have him around for longer. So, you know, you look at his family life and his son, Vince Jr., sort of turns around and says, oh, look, it was it was pretty tough growing up with him, you know, um, and he was a taskmaster. But, you know, he, his son also says, look, they weren't great at communicating because he was a young lad. Uh, they didn't see eye to eye um, and, you know, they just weren't really on the same page. His dad was a bit of a hard ass, but he says that he never did anything out of malice. He always did it out of love. And in fact, you know, if you watch the various documentaries about him, he's one of the first coaches to bring in the whole love aspect into the locker room, which you know, back then would have been oh, crazy talk, you know, team sports manly man and you're talking about the team love each other. Uh, so he was one to bring it in. But look, I don't want to go through a chronology of Vince's life. Um, and in fact, this is I'm calling this Talking Vince Lombardi Part 1 because there's so many facets to this guy. And what I want to do is, is and breaking it up with some nice Vince Lombardi audio, um, I just want to talk about just various parts of his life, just different things that kind of interested me about him. Um, you know, I, I kind of have this thing, this top 10 that I want to do for YouTube. And I can read those out at the very end. I don't want to put a spoiler alert. So what I'm going to do is, is I'm just going to pick a small facet or an interesting part of his life. And I'm just going to talk about it. I'm just going to sort of illuminate and hopefully some of the stuff you haven't heard before. And hopefully it encourages to go and, you know, watch a Football Life or watch documentaries on him or hit YouTube or get some books. Uh, there's a book by David Maranas. 
uh, who uh, called When Pride Still Mattered, A Life of Vince Lombardi. And Marinas has written books on, you know, I think Barack Obama, his latest one on Jim Thorpe. Uh, the guy's a sensation, Pulitzer Prize winning, winning author. And I think even his kids went on to become award-winning authors as well. So, you know, there's some further reading there. But stick along with the podcast. I don't know if next week is going to be about Vince. I want to kind of mix it up and make it fresh. But anyway, let's commence. Vince, take it away. Well, the act too slow getting in there. Man, that is bad. bad. Way to hell back here. You never get to the hole. So an interesting factoid has got nothing to do with that uh, thing, even though it's kind of, that's motivation for me. He's like, you're too slow. I know, intros are long-winded. Vince Lombardi was colorblind. So we all know the nearsightedness, you know, he wore his sort of famous glasses. And in fact, all the impersonators that go around, you know, they're doing Vince Lombardi because they have the typical sort of brownie trench coat, uh, the fedora style hat or the other little peak hat. And I want to talk about his hat a little bit later. But Vince was actually colorblind. Uh, which is mad when you when you think about it. And to be honest, I think it's quite apt. And I don't want to start off this podcast trying to be all woke, um, you know, but I just think it's apt for him that he was colorblind, which I've never, I'd never heard before. Um, but the fact that, you know, they call him, if you look up Vince Lombardi colorblind, it always talks about sort of uh, discrimination and how he treated these black players. And I just think it's so poetic that he was colorblind, uh, actually colorblind, and also... When it came to racial issues, uh, he was always standing up for what he felt was right. And that was way against the grain. Uh, the first one was is that Dave Robinson, a uh, black player, was the first black Packers linebacker. Again, which is crazy to believe. Um, and then Lionel Aldridge, who was actually his roommate. Uh, he was in, in an interracial relationship, as they call it, um, with a girl called Vicky, uh, who then became his wife. Uh, but Lionel Aldridge, you know, this was a massive taboo back in the 60s. Um, and there was one player in the NFL, apparently, who had got married uh, to a white woman. And uh, according to all of the players around then, including Dave Robinson and, and all the reporters, he was blackballed from the NFL. And, um, you know, people just couldn't wrap their heads around it. I mean, there was, you know, when the Packers were traveling around, they famously went to hotels that tried to force on segregation. And Vince Lombardi said, no, we're not having it. Um, and we're not having people coming in different entrances and all that kind of stuff. And in fact, within Green Bay itself, uh, he told many restaurants and hotels that he's not going to deal with this discrimination if he finds out that they're excluding black players, is that he's going to boycott the restaurant and um, be done with it. So again, Lionel Aldridge uh, and Vicky wanted to get married, but he was scared that his his job and player history and you know career would be over. So he went to Vince Lombardi to kind of say to him, like, look, this is... What well, I mean, Vicky want to do? I mean, how do you feel about it? And Lombardi gave his uh, unheralded approval. He said, yeah, of course. I mean, Jesus, I don't care, you know, what you do as, as long as you're a good football player. And apparently Aldridge went out and he was absolutely delighted. But again, you know, word spreads uh, that this is going on, you know, and it gets down to the other team owners and it gets to Pete Rosell, the NFL commissioner. And apparently Lombardi had to defend um, Lionel Aldridge uh, to the all these people. And you'd look at it now and go, how archaic and just ridiculous. But then that was a pretty uh, crazy thing to do. Um, But we can see there's a real sort of ingrained thing in Vince Lombardi, that prejudice, because he himself would have suffered um, that sort of Italian discrimination, which was rife back then as well. And there's more stories around that. Let me hit you with another soundbite. Well, 
That's a that's a tough question. How would I? Uh, in my business, there is only one place, and that's to be a winner. And again, you know, this is sort of all over the place, uh, deliberately so. And it's like you know when people write an autobiography and then they write a memoir. You know, the memoir is not supposed to be linear. What I find fascinating about this area as well is is that Vince Lombardi is from New York. Um, his dad and his mom both came from Italy. They're you know first generation immigrants, and his dad. Uh, who was born in the 1800s, has tattoos all over his body. Again, this is one of those things that you'd look at nowadays and go, yeah, well, you know, everyone has tattoos. I mean, you know, a lot of my family have tattoos. Um, pretty much when you go on holidays, you see it, I find, uh, which is bizarre because I don't have any. Um, and someone remarked to me once is that it's very rare to see a young lad, not that I'm young anymore, but uh, without tattoos. You know, it, almost not having tattoos now is the new having tattoos back in the day. But when you think about being born in the 1800s and going around New York, uh, which, you know, depending on sort of what uh, group you belong to and all that kind of stuff, I'm sure there was different sort of pockets where, uh, and, and in fact, the tattoo parlor that he got all his tattoos in was just down down the road from him. Uh, but Harry was his name, Enrico, really, but he always called himself Harry. Uh, so he was going around with all these tattoos, you know, all over his arms, on his chest, on his hands, and he had... Kind of like what you see the hipsters wearing nowadays on his knuckles. He had work on one hand and play on the other. And he was supposed to be a really, really hard worker. He was, you know, in the meat business and they'd be hauling these big pieces of meat around. But like his whole, his body was covered. And on his bicep, in fact, he had the word uh, mother tattooed. And in fact, it was his mother who absolutely hated the tattoos. And she asked him to get rid of them. And Harry, like a good son, uh, was there apparently one day trying to scrub them off and they wouldn't come off. Shocker. Um, and he had sort of an unfinished bald eagle on his chest because, you know, it's like adopting the name Harry, Harry Lombardi. And we'll go on to talk about the sort of prejudice that Lombardi faced throughout his career and what led to his success, in fact, with the Packers. You know, but his dad really took on the fact that I'm a, I'm an American. I'm not an Italian American. I'm an American, and with the unfinished bald eagle on his chest. And in Dave Maranas's book, he talks about that in one of the earlier chapters about, you know, there was this sort of it was was it or was it not? And they said that his dad was either really proud of having his tattoos, or as he got older in life, he became embarrassed of them. Uh, but there's stories in the family that he used to go around with his short sleeve T-shirts on, so he liked going around with the tattoos. Uh, which is just, I don't know, a bit mad to me that these were talking about the you know 1910s, 1920s here. And here's this young lad going around the streets of New York, uh, all tattooed up. And what's really sad about it is, is that his father, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, ended up outliving uh, Vince. And he was there at his deathbed. And when you see footage of Vince Lombardi's funeral, you can see his little dad. I think he was only about five foot five uh, on his way into the church uh, for the funeral. But mad that, you know, he was part of giving Vince his work ethic. Because I always look at Vince and go, well, why was he such a badass? How was he so hard? It came from his upbringing, but more so that he went to uh, Jesuit college and they really instilled in him, uh, you know, that sort of dedication to hard work and perfection and all that kind of stuff. It also came from the coaches in football that he had. Uh, and I'll jump into that now when we're talking Red Blake at Army. Uh, was his, you know, he attributed Red Blake and Army to say, look, he taught me absolutely everything I know about football between, you know, how to set up practices, how to watch game tape and film. Um, but again, this, his dad being covered with tattoos uh, is just something that really stands out to me that was sort of quite unique for the day. I'm a highly emotional man. I'm quick to tears and I'm quick to praise. I'm quick to all of the things. 
I think anyone who tries to hide their emotions, uh, I think, makes a mistake. I think you've got to do things according to your own personality. This is all part of whatever little bit of success I've had, too. I think this is most important. So, you know what? It's a real privilege, actually, to be on the podcast with the voice of Vince Lombardi, a man who I'd love to talk to anybody around him. Um, you know, we spoke to Jerry Kramer and he spoke of him. Um, but like I was saying before, and again, I'm not going down the whole political woke uh, thing, but it's a fact that, in, you know, Vince Lombardi's success in Green Bay, uh, you know, what led up to that whole urge for him to get in there uh, was the racism and, and prejudice that he faced. So he went to Fordham to play football. Um, and it's amazing that he was nearsighted. Uh, he was colorblind. Uh, but I think he played right guard, so he was on the O-line. And in fact, he was so good on the O-line uh, that he had a nickname for that line. They were fantastic. They're called the Seven Blocks of Granite in Fordham uh, because of how accomplished they were as a team. And it was kind of when he played for Fordham, that's when it sort of registered with him that, you know, football is the ultimate team sport, is that you all have to work together. He was one of the better players on that team. Uh, but he was remarked as not being the best. And he was quite small too, you know, for a football player. Um, and it's mad you can see footage of him all decked out in his uh, uniform. But again, you know, it kind of leads into the thing of what he was asking of his players was something that he witnessed as well. He witnessed greatness on the field and what it took to be a champion and what it took to work together and the work ethic and all that kind of stuff. Um, but look, at Fordham, he was asked uh, by another student, he said, come over, stand over here next to this fella. And the guy said he wanted to see who had the darker complexion. And that really, really got to Vince just disgusting racism. And so Vince, you know, squared up to him and they had a fight. And so they were punching each other and he was sort of brought up uh, for disciplinary action. And he thought that he was going to get thrown out of college. So this was the kind of sort of racism that was rife against Italians um, back in the day. But again, look, he, he went to Fordham and it was after that he came out and he kind of did some odd jobs and he eventually became a physics and maths teacher and there's some cool footage of him with students. So that's where you start to get the sort of teachery stuff. But look, he always loved football. In fact, he was going to become a priest, which is another interesting fact, but he left the priesthood college and went to a Jesuit college and went to Fordham because he liked football too much and he liked girls. Um, so he you know, wanted to get away from it. So what he eventually tried to do was is go back somewhere where he could coach. Um, and that's exactly uh, what he did. So he went back and started coaching in St. Cecilia's. And uh, you know, he started off as an assistant coach and then became a head coach. And he made absolute winners out of them. I think the student body was only about 300. And he made like just a ridiculous team with, they said he had endless calisthenics. And the stories of how he started off each training camp even when he was with the Packers and then when he went on to the Washington football team who weren't named so uh, back then, is that he would get the football and say, ladies and gentlemen, this is a football. And then he'd throw it away and said, you're not going to see it now for two weeks. And so he'd make them do mindless calisthenics. Jerry Kramer is on talking about where people would pass out. And uh, there was another guy for the Packers who said that he did military marine training. And the stuff that Vince Lombardi put them through uh, was even worse than what they get on marine training. Uh, but look, Vince then went on to make a state champion uh, basketball coach, uh, despite knowing pretty much nothing about basketball. Apparently, he went down to the library, got a two-decade-old library book, and he led the team to a state championship. Again, physical practices and just being an expert man-manager. Um, but look, he had higher, higher aspirations, I guess. So what he decided to do was is go to Army 
and uh, get in there as an offensive backfield coach for Red Blake. Now, Red Blake has an absolutely ridiculous uh, winning percentage. If you look up Red Blake, in fact, it's almost worth doing a profile on him. Uh, But look, as I said earlier in the podcast, Lombardi said that he learned all of his sort of, uh, you know, organization skills, the film study, the dedication to all of that kind of thing uh, from Red Blake. He really set the blueprint down. But he saw other coaches around him uh, that worked for Red Blake all get head coaching jobs elsewhere. And he was having no joy. Uh, So what he did was he was still going around and he was still trying to sort of audition and interview for roles. And he went to a place called Wake Forest and he interviewed to be a head coach. And one of the interviewers there who liked him after the interview called him up and told him, look, you know, I don't think football is the kind of thing for you. You know, we're impressed and I like you, but they're not going to hire a head coach whose name ends with a vowel, meaning an Italian coach or an Italian-American coach or anybody of Italian extraction was never going to become a head coach. So Vince is really demoralized by this. I mean, he's he's he knows his capability. He really believes in his system. He's trained under the best and he's got told his prejudice. He ends up going to be offensive coordinator for the Giants. Um, and this is where his sort of hard-ass, badass demeanor of how he taught the how he taught. I'm Irish. Um, all of the high school kids. So Frank Gifford played on that team, and he recalls laughing at Vince Lombardi. Uh, you know because he was trying to get them to drop down and give me twenty, and you know he was chewing them out, and he used to hide his chalk on them and stuff like that. So he went into Frank Gifford's room once and sort of said to him humbly. What, what the hell can I do? I mean, you know, what am I doing wrong? Uh, so they gave him some tips about, you know, you have to treat us like men. And, you know, his words were something like uh, the football knowledge just kind of flowed out of him since then. So what I like about Vince Lombardi was is that it's kind of a it's a mixture of all of these things coming together. It's, you know, the prejudice that he faced and um, his brother was gay. So he sort of picked up for and I think there was a rumor as well that there was a gay player and he said, anybody who sort of speaks ill on this guy, I'm going to kick you out of the locker room. You know, so he was used to prejudice. He was used to racism. Um, and I say used to it. I mean, he's encountered it. He, you know, he obviously thinks it's an absolute scourge. Um, so then he goes on to Fordham, you know, nearly gets thrown out and thinks his career is over. And then he goes on to Army and he thinks that he's well qualified to become a head coach elsewhere. You know, everyone else around him is doing it and he can't get there he goes and tries with wake forest and they openly tell him you're italian yeah you know we're not going to go near you and um, but eventually he gets into the giants and i just like that these are all character building for the man and the fact that he was a teacher because he always remarks that you know coaching is the same as teaching all you're doing is trying to get a concept across that they can understand and that they can action um, and then he goes on to the giants and he doesn't just slide into it and for people to go oh he's amazing day one you know, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't amazing. And it was the fact that he could sit down and humble himself and say, you know, explain to me what I need to do here to get this thing rolling. Um, but look, he was an incredible offensive mind and defensive mind, and he was a hard ass and all this type of stuff. But he's really, really famous for one play in particular, and that's the Packers' power sweep. Gentlemen, this is the most important play we have. It's the play we must make go. It's the play that we will make go. And it's the play that we will run again and again and again. You know, for all of this sort of stuff, and you, you see it happening in Packers games, there was a famous play, it was about three years ago now, where or maybe more, where Aaron Rodgers tried to get the ball to Devontae Adams and he just missed it. And Devontae came back into the huddle and said, do it again, but get it on target, basically. The only receiver in many a year that could turn around and say that to Aaron Rodgers. 
and he did and it worked and that's the same as the power sweep you know th this was their bread and butter stuff this was the play that and I've watched videos of him sort of teach it and break it down um, and the concept of it's quite simple you know the fullback halfback has the ball and they run off to the weaker strong side depending um, and you get the guards coming across to sort of basically sweep the other players out of the way and he sort of calls it a yard gainer uh, you know and I heard an interesting breakdown of sort of American football plays too where you know you're running back and get four yards and they say Jesus how do we give up four yards to that they're getting chunk plays all over the place and then you could throw it uh, or dump it off for four yards and they go oh we stopped them after four yards uh, so you know it was a play that they went back to again and again and again um, and it's where they got their nicknames Thunder and Lightning with Paul Horning and Taylor um, so it was a very important play to Vince Lombardi and he literally has every single um, you know undulation every single out thing that can happen uh, mapped out so if this happens if the defence show you all of these different defences um, you know and even on his deathbed uh, Jernigan who was the quarterback for the Washington team uh, went into him and Vince Lombardi you know they were talking about the weather and he turns around and says oh you know I think in the NFC you know there's too many defences that play against this type and I think the offence could be the 3-4 defence if they played this way against the AFC and he was still thinking about how to beat defences so John Madden tells an anecdote where you know he goes into a coaching session a sort of a master class with Vince Lombardi and he's talking all about the, the power sweep the packer sweep and Madden, you know, is this young hotshot coach, thinks he knows it all. So he sits at the back of the class like one of the cool lads on the back of a bus. And he said Vince Lombardi spent eight hours teaching the Packer sweep and all of the different things that you need to do to make it work. Uh, he had four hours, then a break for lunch, and then another four hours. And John Madden said that he left that um, session thinking, I don't know the least bit about football. This is incredible, um, which is funny to say. So, I mean, there could be a whole podcast based on the Packers sweep that we could get into, but it's a really, really famous play in Packers history and one that was an awful lot more complicated. And what I would say is, is look, whatever about Vince Lombardi coming into town and they often talk about, look, he'd Ray Nitschke there, he'd Bart Starr there, he'd Jerry Kramer there. I mean, all these Paul Horning, all these players that went to the Pro Football Hall of Fame and you know, the all-pro decade teams and all that kind of stuff. But an honourable mention was is that, you know, when Lombardi went there, he had a 17-round quarterback from Alabama, Bart Starr. And, you know, whatever about the... And the power sweep was a really important play, obviously, as you can hear him, the man say himself, for the Packers. But the fact that the focal point of the throwing offence for him was Bart Starr. And Bart Starr, you know, I've never heard him swear... Uh, in any of the footage that I've watched, he seemed like a really nice guy. Um, our bus driver, in fact, on our animal tour that we went over to Green Bay with, he he was an ex-cop and he talks about pulling over Bart Starr with his lead foot. But I just think that, you know, for Bart Starr to take on Vince Lombardi, um, there's this story where Vince Lombardi chews him out in front of the rest of the team and Bart Starr asks to see Lombardi after practice and they go into his office and he says, look, I don't mind getting my ass chewed out. Uh, but just don't do it in front of the team because I've got to lead these people. And, you know, Lombardi never did it in front of the team again, which is saying something about Boatman, uh, that Starr had the bravery to say it to him um, because he believed in his system. And then also Lombardi didn't sort of say, look, well, I'm not going to listen to you. You know, if you're held accountable, you're held accountable. Because that's the criticism that apparently went on with the Las Vegas Raiders is that Derek Carr was chewed out in front of the team uh, to the point where they felt that it was unfair. 
and he'd never been sort of held accountable in front of the team that way. He took exception and then that relationship broke down. Um, so, you know, it's really, really topical. But the fact that Bart Starr was the focal point and was good enough to meet Vince Lombardi's standards and to be as successful as they were uh, says an awful lot about the man that was Bart Starr. If you look at this play, what we're trying to get is a seal here and a seal here and try to run this play in the alley. So look, we're, it's not all, all of this isn't sort of a madcap analysis, and you know it's very important, and you know blah blah blah. Um, there's some really funny stuff that happens uh, to Vince Lombardi, um, and some anecdotes, you know, and sort of Matt Lafleur when you look at his record and they sort of compare him to Lombardi when he came in and start winning stuff and all that jazz, uh, and they often talk about that Matt Lafleur is kind of a bit tone deaf when it comes to jokes, um, like it's just constant dad jokes with him basically, and they sort of said that about Vince Lombardi as well, that he try to get a laugh um, out of his players, uh, but a really cool moment that happened in the 1967 NFL uh, championship game uh, when they won the game and Vince Lombardi's making his way off the field. Now, usually the players uh, would carry Vince Lombardi off the field. In fact, when Vince Lombardi came to the team, they were absolutely awful. Um, you know, they'd won one game the prior season, so he ended up bringing them to a winning record. The same thing he did actually with the Washington football team uh, when he went to them. Uh, you know, they hadn't had a winning record in 14 years, but he went and sort of dragged them up out of the mire as well. So it's funny that Vince Lombardi, his first game with the Packers was against the Bears, and they caused a massive upset and they beat them, proving once and for all in the Lombardi year that the Bears suck, uh, which they didn't actually at the time. Just don't, don't look it up. Um, so, you know, he beats the Bears the first game and they carry him off. But anyway, he's been in Green Bay and he's winning games and all this type of stuff. So what are the only times that they never carried him off the field? Uh, Vince is walking off and he's got that little sort of um, hat on him. Uh, not the fedora one, it's kind of the little sort of peak one. And this young fan comes up and as Lombardi's making his way off the field, he robs the hat off Vince Lombardi. And it's incredible when you see it because... You know, it's it was Martin Luther King uh, Day not too recently, and every photo you see of um, MLK, you know, it always looks really sort of heroic and all that. And you'd love to see some sort of candid shots um, of it. And this was certainly candid from Vince Lombardi. So the fan steals his hat. Lombardi turns around, annoyed as anything, just after winning this game, turns around and chases the fan down. He gets him in a chokehold, and you can hear him go Rah! as he's throwing this guy around. And it almost looked like, you can see a slow-mo pic of it and a slow-mo video where it almost looks like the guy bites Lombardi's glove. So he gets his hat back off him and he throws him away and gives him a you know good ticket off, giving out to, and he, he makes his way off the field. And they have this really interesting footage. It looks like sort of home movie footage of him and he used to always go back to his basement in his house um, and go down there for a couple of drinks with friends and his wife, Marie. Um, you know, when they won and even when they lost sometimes to blow off steam, but, you know, there was a, a really different demeanor about him then so he goes down and they have footage of him talking to them about this and hopefully it comes out okay on the audio listen to what he says about it no anytime did you chase him yeah you should have seen me go. Did you hit him? Yes, sir. And they ask him after that, actually, uh, was he bigger than you? And he goes, yes. And you can look back at it. Uh, just an amazing moment, you know, the fact that he chases this fan down, rips the hat back off him again. You can hear him kind of shout at him and then sort of telling people after, like, oh, yeah, I got into a fight. Did you know, got into a fist fight on the field. Just really, really good. Um, so the other one that kind of 
nice story. So he's he goes to the New York Giants and he's the offensive coordinator uh, for the Giants. And the defensive coordinator is Tom Landry, of all people. Uh, again, we could do a profile on Tom Landry. Just know if you don't know uh, that he was one of the absolute all-time great coaches and minds in the game as well. So incredible that, you know, Vince was the offensive coordinator and this guy was the defensive coordinator. And the head coach back then, it was effectively being the head coach. You know, there was like joint head coaches almost between Vince and, and Landry. Um, and the other guy was just in there kind of, you know, coordinating the whole deal. Um, but when he got into New York, and bearing in mind he's from New York, um, so he was kind of seen like he was at home. Wellington Mara, and the Mara still owned the team. So he was the owner of the team. And him and Vince got along really, really well. He's very fond of Vince. Um, so when Vince Lombardi got into the Giants, he asked them, oh, well, who does the Polaroids? And Wellington said, what do you mean the Polaroids? And he goes, well, who takes pictures of the plays and, you know, all that kind of stuff? And he goes, well, we don't. And then he goes, well, OK, well, that's what we need to do. So what Vince set up with the New York Giants was something that he got from um, Fordham, apparently, um, or Army, I should say, uh, was that. Uh, he got Wellington, he didn't get him, but he said he'd do it. Wellington Mara, the owner of the New York Giants, had a Polaroid camera and he would take pictures of the play. Uh, it'd develop. Then he'd put that picture in a sock. He'd put that sock in a cleat and he would literally throw the cleat down onto the field from the upper deck. Um, sorry, he got it from West Point, apparently. So when you when you think about it, the owner of the team and from what the team is worth now, and there was no real technology back then, pegging Polaroid photos down onto the sidelines to Vince Lombardi. And there's a photo out there, and I'll, I'll try to tweet it out or put it up on Instagram stories, of Wellington Mara aiming his Polaroid camera on the field from the stands, and you can see Vince Lombardi down on the sidelines, knowing that they would get it and fire it down. Now, this type of technology, if I can call it that, uh, was going on for... Uh, a long time after that, you know, and Vince Lombardi brought that to the New York Giants and then eventually they had like Polaroids and they used to put it down on the zip line um, and then they'd have stuff with computers and they'd print it out. And now, of course, they have the tablets on the field that get stuff in real time. But incredible that it was Vince Lombardi who brought that in to the New York Giants and the only person that uh, was trusted to do the job was the owner himself to throw stuff down. I would have loved to have been sort of a fly in the wall or a person in the crowd to witness that bit of history of this cleat flying over your head down onto the sideline and then the Polaroid coming out of the sock so that they had real-time analysis of what was going on in the field. It sounds a bit silly now, but um, when you think about it, absolutely hilarious. Everybody grabbing out there. Nobody tackling. Well, uh, look, I, I have to bring it to a conclusion sometime. I've an awful lot more sound bites uh, and stuff of the great man himself and more stories. And I would love to, you know, bring this video to YouTube, youtube.com forward slash UK Packers and talk about his tattooed dad, about the Polaroid technology. And I have that in sort of inverted commas, the fist fight on the field, the fact he was colorblind. Uh, also, the other story that Lombardi actually altered Boyd in the church when he was head coach of the Packers in Green Bay, uh, them soundproofing the booth, 
uh, the fact that Lombardi really took umbrage with the fact that they named the stadium after Curly Lambeau. There's a sort of a friction and story between him and Curly as well. There's so much to talk about, but again, I'm conscious that it's getting up around, you know, 35, 40 minutes now. But look, it's um, it's great to be with you in the off-season. We're going to keep it going. When the news drops of Aaron Rodgers, whatever happens there, we'll bring it to you. But until then, I don't think I'm going to bore you with it because certainly it's getting on my wick. Um, and as well as that, if you want to try win a trip to Green Bay, Wisconsin, we're talking flights, transfers, game tickets, uh, all you can eat at the tailgate, stadium tour, all of that bought and paid for uh, for the paltry price of five quid. Uh, we'll then get to patreon.com forward slash UK Packers. I've been at Steedy the NFL. I always love hearing your feedback, by the way, in the podcast. And if this is a podcast that you enjoyed and you like hearing Vince, uh, well, then it's certainly uh, more that I can work on. If you have a topic that you'd like me to cover, I'd gladly do it as well. But look, keep it tuned here for all of the off season. As they say uh, in Belichick land, no days off uh, here. So it's once a week. But until next week, go Pack Go.